The following is a KPV Media Works production. Choose your fighter. What's up, gaming world? KPB Raphael here, and we have a special guest today. KPB Rodimus Prime. I actually know you as Rodiness because that's your Xbox chat tagline. Right, yeah. I got to ask you a question, man. We haven't seen each other in so long. Uh-huh. And I've seen some of your pictures on Facebook. Okay. Was your, did you trim your beard down for this? Because, I mean, you uh, had a great beard. I, um, I trimmed it down. Not, I trimmed down this because this is like under here is all patchy. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of got rid of it. Um, but yeah, you know, with, with, you know, the coronavirus, you know, couldn't get to a, a barber or anything like that. So did you put, um, beard oil on it? Yeah. I've actually, I've actually come to find out the beard community looks down on people who put beard oil. Do you really? do that? Yes. Are you a high maintenance guy? You know, you have to put I'm, all the beautiful beard. I, I don't oil? put, okay. So I, I use this, I use the same thing I use in my hair, which is like this pomade that has like honey and, uh, some, some other stuff in it. I use it for the same thing for my beard as well. Uh, I was using a beard, a beard oil at a time, something that my brother gave me, and uh, uh, I didn't like it too much, so I stopped using it. Uh, but yeah, I bet I do some maintenance to to the beard, not not much, but I didn't know in the beard community that they look down on this. Yes, yeah, apparently it's not manly enough. It's not manly. So what do they do to maintain? <laughs> I their have beards? no idea. You've seen it... some of these beard competitions. It's amazing <laughs> how long these guys let their beards grow. You know, they're the male. Um, what was her name? Rapunzel. <laughs> <laughs> and and no maintenance. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I only barely know a little bit of that. All I know is apparently they look down on it. Okay. And also another thing, and I've been meaning to ask you this, and mm-hmm. I figured this is the best place. Cigar smoking. Yes. What kind of cigars do you smoke? Because me, when I used to smoke cigars, uh-huh. my wife really doesn't let me anymore. I try uh-huh. to get one in every every birthday. Yeah. I mean, I like the Opus X's. Okay. I actually got a few Cubans from one time I went to the Bahamas. Nice. How I got that through, it's utterly amazing because they had a dog there. Mm-hmm. So my buddy goes in front of me, and it's inside my book bag. And I managed to actually go like this, put it behind me. It's like, okay, Mr. Dog, you can <laughs> sniff me. The cop never stopped me. So that's actually been sitting there for a while. That's interesting because um, with me, I, I don't consider myself a quote-unquote smoker, right? Like um, before, you know, when I was younger, I used to – do black and milds once in the blue but it's more like when i was like depressed like it, the mellowness has kind of helped me to relax and stuff like that uh and then in recent years i moved to uh, cigars uh so with cigars uh my favorite is uh the acid line of mm-hmm. acid cuba cubas yeah uh, i think they're from nicaragua yes they are uh, i believe they are yes yeah those those are my favorites um they're a smooth blend it's not harsh um and they taste really good, and they're just something that I enjoy a couple of times a year. Um, I would say no more than four or five times a year I have a cigar. And I'm the same way, man. Like mm-hmm. when I used to smoke them, I do it like maybe once every three months yeah. with a nice cup of rum. Yes, whiskey. You know? Yeah, some some people do whiskey. Yes. I do rum. I know others who do wine. And it's funny because I actually remember when I first smoked a cigar, I think I was at my brother's house for New Year's. Mm. And a friend of ours just, uh, you know, I was asking, hey, anybody got a cigar? And she gave me one. And, you know, I've never smoked weed. I never touched that stuff. Never smoked weed, never smoked cigarettes. And people find it weird. It's like, well, at the time, I believe I was 23. It's like, well, you're smoking cigars. That's kind of weird. I'm like, well, what's weird about it? Cigarettes, in my opinion, are disgusting. Uh, 
weed, I have no comment at this time. But well, you know how <laughs> addictive cigarettes are. Yes, be, yes. I uh, actually, um, I, I know from my dad. My dad, uh, when he was alive, was a chain smoker. Was really two packs a day, you know. And then, of course, you know, he died from lung cancer. So, of course, you know, those things don't allow me per- personally to take part in cigarettes, other, aside from the fact that I find them disgusting. Yeah, my mom, no, excuse me, not my mom, my aunt, who used to live with us. I mean, she was a chain smoker for quite a while there. Hmm. My father was a smoker as well, but they both ended up quitting, thank God. You know, so people always ask me, so where'd you get the idea to just smoke cigars? Hmm. It's just, I don't know, maybe I saw Schwarzenegger doing it one time, right. and I thought that looked pretty cool. I think for me, it, it's definitely like the masculinity of it, Yeah. you know, or, or the perceived masculinity mm-hmm. of, of smoking a cigar. It's what is a factor for me. The fact that it does relax me is a very relaxing activity to do. And I don't need to do it once, like for the day, mm-hmm. one cigar. My dad-in-law, he's a he's a big cigar guy. So whenever I do get cigars, I get majority for him. And I keep a few for myself. Is that Leilani's father? Yes, Leilani's father. My he's wife, a big yes. basketball fan. I yes. love talking to he's, that guy. He's, uh, he's known in like all of the New York region circuits from high school and up. Like he goes to the... You know, I, I always, I'm, I'm an NBA fan, right? Yeah. And I always said, even though I'm an NBA fan, I find it hard to follow basketball on a college level because it's so much bigger. Oh, you, you have to be a huge fanatic. Me, I can't stand no college sports. Maybe it's because I didn't go to a college where they had mm-hmm. a basketball team. I went to TCI. Okay. Very small privates on college down in the city. I think it actually, you know, doesn't exist anymore. TCI, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> but man, God bless those people who could follow college sports because I-, I can't. So he, he follows, you know, pro, college, and high school. High school. So imagine what how, how vast college is to pro and then how vast high school is to college. Yeah. And he follows all of that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the kind of officiality. He like he, he'll go to like the state's of the baseball, basketball, football. Well, he's just a big sports he's fan. He's just a big sports fan. Was he going to the um, the Westchester Basketball he, Championships in the Westchester had, County Center? He he went to those. He was also a season holder of uh, the Westchester Knicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would go see them play a lot. So I, I, I actually went with him a couple of times. I used to see uh, Jimmer. Jimmer Fredette was on the team at one point before he went to China. Yeah. So and I was like, watching him play was amazing. I'm like, why can't this guy make it in the NBA? He was clearly the best player on the court. Yes. By far, like by league. Like, and these guys are pretty good. Like, most of them can play in the, in the NBA. But I saw Fredette play. And I'm like, why doesn't he get what, – what's so bad about his game that he can't get time in the NBA? You know, because he's successful now, right, in, in China. Well, Is he? It's... Like, you know. Was successful over there. He was successful. Stefan Marbury. Well, Stefan Marbury went over there and became a god. Yes. So, you know, which is all he ever wanted in life was to be loved, obviously. You know, he didn't get that here. You You know, know, it's very funny because, I mean, I believe the percentages of top high school players who get to play in Division I college Mm -hmm. is like the 1% of the 1%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then the college players to the pros, in this case, the NBA, the American Leagues, is the 1% of the 1%. Right. You know, you go over to the European League, which I believe should it's the second most competitive league after the NBA. Mm. And maybe that's why. It's just they didn't have that 1% well, to make it into the NBA. That was my dad-in-law. He played European ball for years. Oh, he did played, he? Yeah, he played European he played ball for eight years, I believe, uh, before he came back home and had a regular life, you know. But that's what he did. He did out there. And he, he from what I understand, he was very successful. Uh, had, had a decent career. Yeah, that, and that stuff follows you, man. I mean, yeah. some of these players now, even some of the coaches, uh, 
I believe it was the guy that was I believe it was the Kenny Atkinson for the Nets. He had a career in Europe and he couldn't wait to come over here. I heard mm-hmm. him in a um an interview with Chris Russo on Sirius XM. Love that show. It's the best sports show I, I listen to. <clears throat> but yeah, it's just uh it's a lifelong love for those people. Of course, definitely. Um I would say that with my father in law. Like he because he had he's had those connections, he literally can go he can't go to any like sporting event and not know someone. This is how far reaching this guy is. I, I, I used to go with him to the pen relays. I know that I used to I have gone the past couple of years with him to the, like a track and field event in Philadelphia. And uh you see upcoming uh high school, college track and field stars, uh and even some pros if they feel like coming to attend, they'll come and they'll compete. Oh, wow. Uh they usually don't. Uh I, I was told uh Usain Bolt used to go there before he became really big. So and then, and then I think after he won his first medal, he came to the relays once just to kind of show up and you know, look, the best guys here, let me run for you guys, you know, kind How of many medals does Usain Bolt have? Uh, probably tons. And that's not including the the Olympic World Championships. Yeah, World Championships left and right, yeah. Who's got more, him or Michael Phelps? I mean, those uh, are by far the two most prolific Olympic athletes that we've seen in the last I don't 50, know not, about medal numbers. I know Phelps is up there. Phelps has like something like 16 medals mm-hmm. along those lines. It's a lot. Yeah. And then now he's retired. So Yes, he is, yeah. You know, and I mean, it would have been nice to see him this year, of course. Olympics is actually one of my favorite things to watch, like especially during the summer, like especially because I'm off. I work in education, so like during the summers I'm off. Yeah. So lucky when, you. <laughs> yeah, when, when when the Olympic year comes around, like I literally stay home and watch everything I can watch. Well, it's a change of pace. Mm-hmm. I mean, summer we have baseball, and I know nobody could deal with that 162 game season. <laughs> I mean, uh, if the basketball season decides to extend itself all the way, not just this year but before, mm-hmm. you know, it's just something different. Right. You know, I mean, we love watching the Olympics. People who say they don't stop at least for five minutes to watch the gymnasts. You know, polo and, and, and whatever it's on there, they're mm-hmm. lying to themselves. I my favorites to watch. I like to watch the swimming, of course. I like to watch track and field, basketball, of course, to watch the USA team lose or win, depending on <laughs> how stacked they want to make their team. Um, I, I like track and field events. I like watching high jump, long jump, pole vault, uh, hammer throw, discus throw, and those a lot of those events you don't really get to see on TV because there's so much going on. Yes. So you you be lucky to catch like a a replay of who won. Well, that's you know? why I always say God bless the internet. I right, mean, that too. Or they they might have it could not have spread on. You know, when we were kids, we had it on one channel. Yeah. But there's so many events now they're covered by eight nine channels, and, and you can watch whatever it is you exactly want to watch that goes on that day. And that's the best thing that happened. I don't know if you know this, but the uh, was it nineteen was it sixty one the the hockey team? Okay. That was actually played in the morning. It was broadcast later on that night. A lot of people, well, the people who were there, they knew they won. And the guy who came in who was doing the broadcasting basically spoiled it for everybody. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Kenwin is like, well, way to go. (laughs) You know, a lot of people really don't know that, but that was taped. It was shown, you know, on tape delay, if you want to call it that. Especially if you're in the States and it's somewhere in, like, Greece or, like, the Asia, you know. Yeah, they used to tape delay the stuff. So Mm -hmm. when people wake up, they can see the important uh, events that's going on, so. Yeah, man, sports is, is fun. I, I I wish I was more involved than a spectator. And, Don't we and, and all? Commentary. Yeah, but but still, sports is. Uh, we wish we could take our passion beyond the uh, the um, the playground. The playground, yes. Oh, yeah. trust me, I know. One of the best things that ever happened to me after my mom died on the the airplane, November fourteenth. Hmm. 
we got together with the Alancia Dominicana down in Washington Heights. And, you know, they used to put on a lot of things, a lot of events. 56 tickets one day. We were going down to Shea Stadium. And I want to say 18 or 16 people showed up. Me and my brother showed up. We actually traded in the rest of the tickets for one of those club um, houses, the um, the box. What are they called? Oh, the, the, the club box. Yeah, the, box. the club box. But yeah. before then, we actually traded it in for batting practice, throwing on the actual field. Nice. Yeah. I've actually, nice. you know, you see them, you know, we live here. We see Yankee Stadium all the time. I pass by. And Shea they probably Stadium. get to resell those tickets to someone oh, cheaper. Well, no, we, we, we traded them in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. And, and But you got to get a nice experience out of it. Yes. That's pretty cool, man. It was actually the funniest thing. I mean, first of all, walking onto that onto that field, mm-hmm. so much different than the playground. Yeah. I mean, you see these stands, and this is empty. Yeah. And you're seeing this, and it's like, man, looking at it now, you, you got to have a lot, you know, mental mental powers to basically walk out of there with about 50,000 people screaming, screaming at you. At you or for you. Yeah. Depending on what's going <laughs> exactly. on. Exactly. You know. And the funniest thing that happened was right there, I got – do some batting practice. Mm. I've always been a good hitter. I'm not saying a professional or anything like that. I've just always been a good hitter. Right. The guy who was reliever, I forget his name. I mean, this is well, this is almost 2002. He throws at least 15 pitches to me. 11 of them I hit. Nice. The 12th one, it came in. Uh, he, he wasn't having any of that. Yeah. Mind you, I'm just a... You hit the first 11? Yes, I did. So, like, and this is a pro pitcher. Well, he's a reliever. Yeah, he's, he's a, a pro he's reliever. Pro. He's still, yes, it's like, yes. And now, mind you, he's not throwing it to me. Ninety-nine. It's like saying the worst NBA player can definitely beat your ass. Yes, yes. Like the worst. If if they were all under the NBA 2K rating and you found someone <laughs> that was 65, which well, will be trash in the game, to, that person can beat you in real life. To be fair, I mean, he wasn't throwing 90. He was right. throwing. I mean, he was still throwing 60, and that's yeah. still pretty fast. You know, and again, the 12th pitch came. You know, low. Too high. Yeah, he wouldn't yeah. play with you no more. Now nah, he's like, okay, let me calm down. <laughs> I actually wanted to sit down. I had no problem with that because I didn't have gloves in. Right. Those bats and those balls at that speed, oh, they, oh, they leave like, your hands they, ringing. Yeah, I bet. They're like vibrating, holding. And they're like actual wood bats. He wasn't even geared up. No. He could have killed you. He could have got mad. He could have hit you with the pitch. No, no, no. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I moved fast enough. You know? <laughs> I, I got the message. <laughs> he said, stop messing with me, man. Well, there you go. You know, I'm, you trying just, to, you just, I'm, I'm trying to make the team, and you're embarrassing me. Right? <laughs> you just basically, you know, pushed back a high, you know, a playground kid. <laughs> hey, listen, he was mad. How, I, how dare you come and hit you? Yeah, how dare you? Like, you know, this is my, this is my team. You're so, just a visitor. Yeah. Wow, the nerve of you. I'm actually glad I got to do that because baseball's always been my favorite sport. It's my passion. I love mm. it, you know. I've actually kind of, it's been hard for me to just watch it lately, having a family and all. But your passion, at least from what I know, at least from what we do, is obviously fighting games, just like a yes. lot of us. Yes. Which is actually funny because when I first met you, I believe I went to go pick you up because we were going down to Long Island to VSM. But That's that the was first the very time first time, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you came for, to my house. We were going to stream. Yeah. Yeah, we were streaming the first time. Met up. Was that the first time you've actually streamed stream or had did you stream before? Oh, no, we, we streamed before. I think, what year was that? Was that 2013 still? That was 2012? That was the second year that I was playing MK9. MK9 came out in 2011, I believe. So 2012 that was. It was definitely 2012. Because, right. because I, I bought. Wait, was it 2011 or 2009? Had, no, it, could, it had to have been 2012 because we, we started, KPB started 2011. Uh, we bought a first actual rig in 2012 that summer. Um, 
we, I remember I still have it at home. It's like this Asus uh, mid tower or oh, mini. It was a mini tower, mid tower, a mid tower. Uh, had everything we need mostly for it, what was at the time paid like 900 bucks for it, 800 bucks. Uh, and that served us for a while. We, 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 we hauled it everywhere. Um, we were doing stuff at, uh, we, we did an event at Clarkton's Corner. Of course. That was a, because before we were, yeah, we, we were streaming. No, that was, uh, Scarsdale. Oh, that's right. It was Scarsdale. Yeah. Yes. Um, we were, we were streaming at home. We would have meetups in my house with the team. And we just have a home stream. We were just yeah. Was that right there on having uh, fun, pressing buttons in, in Yonkers? And yeah, we, mm-hmm. yeah. Right in like right at the border of Yonkers and the Bronx, right mm-hmm. there. Right there, we were there. Um, and uh, I remember I remember something like saying to Stephen, like, "Yo, let's just let's try to do local stuff. Let's try to start streaming local stuff." And we were looking for events that may have needed a stream, and uh, I found an event that was going on in Scarsdale with these guys from New Rochelle, and I hit them up, and they said, "Hey, you know." You know, we're, we're we're new to broadcasting. Uh, I want to come in and just stream your event for free. You know, you know, we just want to put our name out there. What uh, game were they streaming? Oh, oh was that a multi? I'm uh, sure it was Street Fighter Four at the time. Of course, Street yeah. Fighter Four, something else. And that's how KPB really started getting to event streaming. So that was like the summer, 2012. By Next year, by 2013, we were streaming at our first major. Which was? Which was Summer Jam. We were officially streaming. Uh, we had So how we got involved, that was with Biggie Gaming. I was actually going to ask you, did they come to you or did you no, put an application? that was not easy. We, we did not have an easy route to get into streaming. It, it took a lot of what I would call guerrilla work. Yeah. And like having the people speak for us, right? Um, how we got into events. So now you mentioned um, VSM. We started doing events with them. Yes, we did. I remember, again, the way we first met, I remember mm-hmm. Phil, 9.95. Yeah. I love that guy. Love that guy. Shout uh, out yeah. to Phil. I love that man. You know, you know it's, um, he little called guy me up. His mustache and his little baseball hat and glasses. I believe, and... I believe he beat Steve in a push up contest, didn't did he? he? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. That I was uh, that. during the Gamer's Edge uh, number two, I believe yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. We, we were actually um, streaming. I forgot. Why did he have to do push ups, though? I forgot. Uh, ask Steve. Hey, you that remember, was a little remember? bit of a challenge. I, I'll have to ask Phil. I have to hit him up. But yeah, he ended up losing it. <laughs> no, and Steve Phil, ended up losing. Phil knocked it out the box. He took. Uh, I love that guy. I yeah. mean, talk about a consummate professional. Yeah, and, and he and he dealt with a lot. He dealt with a lot, especially with I gotta say at that time, very which still is if you depending on who you ask, very toxic community. Yeah, another one, Corona. Well, before we get to that, before obviously when you guys decided to broadcast. All right, so let's go back to that. Uh, yeah. yeah, before you I, I believe. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because you know FGC history, especially during that time. I believe the first big streamer in New York, at least that I remember of, was the guy who ran FrameAdvantage.com. F, I forget his name, but he used to run. He used to broadcast a lot of stuff in Brooklyn. Frame or, Advantage. Yeah. Maybe, Frame, maybe I'm Steve pretty sure that was that. No. FDGT, I believe that. I think that's what it was called. But the, that, the, that's the before first, Spooky took over. I remember Spooky streaming stuff as early as 2008-7. He might have been doing it before that. Um, but that I knew of him was like back then. So he's one of the oldest OGs. And, you know, you can say what you want about him. I personally have a respect for him. Uh, he's he's actually 
if not for him doing streaming at events, I think a lot of us wouldn't be doing FGC events, you know, in particular. So I, I will always have respect for him. Oh, of course. I mean, you got to respect he, somebody that does yeah. much as work as he does. He, I mean, he's, he's one of the pioneers of, of yeah, FGC. I mean, I've seen that guy streaming, handling the setup, handling camera commentating by himself running brackets yes so. without use I, I just swear that he had a toilet under his seat and that he would just sit there <laughs> he never got up like me me and steve do events and we for the most part we've always done events together it's a shift if we have to take shifts you sometimes we both got to be there yes you know especially now with the way our workflow is is not known as lots of cameras involved in camera work so now what used to be okay maybe you can do it one one person you know, spooky. Now, you know, it's two people, you know, minimal. Well, I mean, some of these you know. things, I mean, people look at it minimal. like, oh, esports, video games. It's like, naturally, no. Some, some, I mean, you guys and mm. some other streamers, uh, they might as well be professional productions. Yeah. You, you know, it's, what, it, what's crazy is you look at what the, what's involved in esports streaming now. It's a lot less of a hassle than a whole production company coming in and with similar work, similar value, you know, similar, you know, production quality, you know, who needs a whole production truck outside doing stuff that we do with a couple of computers, you know, and a couple of people. I I think I've always thought about how we've made as, as a gaming community, we've made production so simple. You know, you think about it, and it, it's still a practice now. Of course. You, you look, you know, you look at um, wrestling, for example. You know, wrestling, always a big production truck, always, you know, this, that, and third. And then you those have... Those big trucks with those big antennas. Yeah. <laughs> and then, mind you, we had a, a CEO uh, out in Florida. They started having wrestling events. Yes, they did. You I know? believe uh, when was the first time they... Uh... I think they've been doing the last three years. The only one I've ever been aware the last of, besides two, the fact that they had a wrestling ring. Yeah, but that, had, that was in Daytona. Yes. When they, had, when they actually had a venue. But they did the first one in the same venue. And it was the same broadcast. They didn't bring an extra anyone extra. No, they didn't, no. You know, so little small-time media groups doing wrestling production work. Well, all you got to do, know? all you have to look at when it comes to production work, I mean, look at the international, the big MOBA tournament. Right. I mean, a million dollars added in, and that brings out some of the best players. But the production work is amazing. Right. And again, this is this is esports. This is a gaming community. Right. Which I've always said, some people like why it doesn't grow beyond what it is. I mean, it's getting that that much amount of people watching is gaming amazing. in itself is growing. It's growing exponentially to the point where we can't keep up. I think the issue is. What do you mean growing? In which way? It's just like the sponsors, the money that's coming in. It's just that the money's not being used properly, I think. Uh, from my experience and from what I see, we have a lot of people in the community that hold titles in esports and gaming that, one, don't care about gaming at all. They, they've come, you know, they get hired by these companies because they have an experience. But I think a crucial component in working in this industry is actually, if you're not a gamer, understand gaming gamers and gaming you know and not through like you know some some sort of measurement of of how many gamers are you know you're not using data that you can collect you 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 are a gamer you understand the way gamers think and operate we don't have these kind of people 
in high places in 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 the gaming industry yet. These are still business people. We have people it's coming, corporate America. Yeah, it's corporate. We have people that produce gaming events that come from TV. They know nothing about what's happening. Perfect example. Um, I was working back in 2018 temporarily for NBA 2K. Uh, I used to fill in for another producer that was there. Uh, and all I had to do was just, uh, uh, keep tabs of the, uh, the Twitch output, how, how their production is outputted onto their Twitch channel. Uh, just control that uh, and run commercials. That's all I had to do, right? Um, was this just a weekend gig? Or? This was like, yeah, a, a one day. I did a couple times that summer, four or five times, I think, total. Um, you know, covering a friend that networked there, you know. And um, it's amazing you talk to these people that are from the TV, TV production, that are from movie production, and from video production. And they don't know what's going on. They don't know what's happening. They don't understand that it's a basketball simulation and it's five on five. And why is there a commentator? And why do they, why, you know, every, they don't understand why they pop off. Right? Well, you know what it is? They look at it as, well, my kid played that game. Yeah. And I don't see him doing all that stuff at home. And then maybe he sees his son on the phone and he sees a competition. Hey, son, what is that? Well, Dad, I'm watching an NBA 2K tournament. And look at that. Along with myself, there's about maybe 2,000 people watching. So wait a minute. There's people actually watch this stuff? Well, well, Which whole... is actually another thing that I've always told people. And it's viewership in, right. in a weird sense. It's like maybe... You know what? Maybe we should come back to that one later. But I, I think that's what it is. Some of these corporate people just try to put it the same. It's like, well, my son is at home playing. How hard could this be? All in all is the wrong people in the industry. And they're out of touch. And I think once we get more people that have, you can have a business acumen and business experience, but also have understanding of, of gaming and being a gamer hard at work. When we start getting more of those people in, I think we'll be a little, well, a little bit better. Um... But before we go back, let's go back to how we got into broadcasting, right? So we go back again to um, BSM doing the events. Uh, they were at the time one of the, well, they always were, uh, and then they still are today, Combat Network, uh-huh. uh, one of the uh, consistent streamers for Big E tournaments. Yes. Uh, they've been doing it longer than we have. Um, and it was, it was 2012. Uh, no, excuse me. It, it, we go to 2013, uh, the winter, winter ball was an event and Phil hits me up and Phil goes, how would you like to come and stream with us? Bring your, you could bring your gig, your, your rig, and you can stream alongside us, you know, and, uh, you know, we'll be in an unofficial stream, but we'll be there with our stream. I said, that's fine to me. I already go to biggie events, you know. I would like to do it in that atmosphere. Well, you you went as a spectator, as a player. I went as a spectator player, but also we bought our rig. Just in case yeah. uh, anybody uh, mm-hmm. broke down. Hey, not, not even that. We, we wasn't scheduled to actually be part of the, the part of the event streaming. We were just there on behalf of Combat Network and Phil. Yes. And we had our stream set up next to them in the same room, like the other side of the room. And uh, at the time... Uh, KOF 13 was was we had KOF we had KOF 13 on our stream. Now KOF 13 wasn't scheduled to be broadcasted at any point during that event for whatever reason. That was big big gaming deciding idea. Um, 
And I don't think it had it was broadcasted at any point uh, up to that moment. I mean, even though the game was fairly new, the game came out. Yeah, which was very odd. The game, I mean, listen, the disaster that was 12, maybe right. that soured. Right. Maybe that maybe it soured on a lot of well, people. I, I, but 13 I, came out, and it was relatively new. And yeah. you're right, now that I'm thinking about it, not many people were streaming the game for at, at big events. They weren't streaming it. They were, yeah. People were playing it, though. Yeah. People were playing it. And enough to where it should be covered. And we set up our stream, and I think someone we had someone on there that was playing playing the arcade mode. I think they need to open up a uh, character. But we were live. But it didn't matter because it's not like we were expecting anyone to watch. And then I remember this. That if, if, if he were to ever see this, I don't know if he remembers this. Um, but I remember Hell Pockets happened to stumble onto the stream. And Hell Pockets is in the chat. And Hell Pockets is like... And I, I, I can, he has a distinct voice. And I can hear, hey, well, you know... What do you mean you guys have a, a stream and they're not, they're not covering the event? You know, I hear him. Say, not that I know who he is and I've met him. I've yes. spoken to him. I hear him saying this in his voice, but he's saying it in the chat. And he's basically saying, like, how, how is it there's a stream that's ready to stream KOF, but no one's streaming KOF at the event? And, like, he actually got people to come into the chat. And people, we, we went from, like, we would never have more than five, ten people in the chat. We were just starting in, in broadcasting. We suddenly had... 50, 100 people asking me, I'm operating the stream. I think it wasn't me or Steve operating the stream at the time. But they're asking us, why are we not streaming? And, I, and we, we were reminding them and letting them know, like, listen, we're not here officially um, for the event as broadcasters. We're here with Combat Network. And the, the community was upset. The community knew that there was players there that knew how to play. Of course. And But the game wasn't being covered. And they made enough noise where it got back to Biggie's co uh, company, and at the time, uh, Zach Zach Cadman, who's now um, part of ECT, uh, he, uh, he he runs ECT, but he used to be part of Biggie Gaming. I remember him walking up to us at like I think it was the next day. We were done, packed up our stuff. We were hanging out on a Sunday. And he comes up to us and he's like, "Listen, I, I don't know, you know what you guys did, but like people have really asked for you guys to cover it." KOF, and I'm going to ask you to come to Summer Jam to do that. And, you know, you're going to come to Summer Jam, you're going to cover KOF. And then that was, Summer Jam that, was that year was our first time we officially became broadcasting streamers for a major event. And we ended up covering Summer Jam that summer. Now, when you guys started streaming, mm -hmm. I guess this is before getting to Summer Jam, was it just you and Steve? It was just Steve and I. Um, yeah, it was just, it's been just Steve and I for years. Uh, we, it's been uh, him and I just running the event, uh, running the the rig. You know, like I said, there was a time when it was possible to run the stream with one person. So he would be at the stream and I'd be away, mm -hmm. or I go play a match about if I was, if I was in the tournament and vice versa. I would cover the stream and he would run and either go relax or chill or go play an event. And that's how it was for years. And and then the the streaming aspect and the workflow of streaming started to evolve where now. It was no longer a one-man show. That's what I was actually going to ask next. When right. did you... Well, I was going to ask next, excuse me. When did you decide, when was it obvious when you and Steve saw that, you know, we we can't come here to play anymore. If I use my break because you're coming here to, um, you know, help me cover, right. I could take my break, let me go get a mansion. When did you, when did you guys realize that, you know what, 
this is a full-time gig. We're literally coming here to stream. We can't run around getting matches in. This is 100% our focal point when we come here. This is what we're doing. I, I think it was a mix of things. I think one, uh, when we started getting uh, negative comments about our streaming, uh, m m uh, minimal stuff, nothing to say that like we were bad streamers, but like, it's just somebody, somebody commentated. Just right? somebody commentated. And I, I, I remember I, I, I couldn't take it. I, I couldn't take the little snappy mark from some unknown person in Twitter and in, in Twitch land who I don't know with some funky, you know, screen names talking crap about a stream, you know? And I was just like, for me, because I know Steve likes to still enter events even today and play when he gets a chance. I made a decision to step back from competitive gaming. And make sure that when we go to events, that we run a tight ship when it comes to streaming. So there's that always at least one person dedicated to making sure that stream is always running. Um, and then you know a lot of times, like you know, even even now, like uh, Steve and I split the low. We now have people on our team that helps. Uh, we we have like sort of a four man rotating team, and with that, we always have two people at at the stream. And everyone gets to rest. Everyone gets to do what they want to do on the side. And it, it just makes things easier that way. It became a well-oiled machine. Right. You know, but, for, but for a long time, it was just Steve and I. You know what the weirdest thing about that, that, you know, where you just gave me the history of that? A lot of people, even to this day, with all the information out there, how to properly run a stream, how to do things right, they still find ways just to fuck up. Well, there, there's no it's book. Th there, there, there's no book. Right? But in this community considering how you know it's an entity within itself mm. where everybody knows everything that's going on i mean it's very easy to open up google right. find out you know how how can i get into uh, video game streaming well again it, it, it's not again there's no book on it if you look at every streamer who does stuff just in our community alone not in every other community but in our community alone if you look at every streamer and look at how they stream their product we all use different things. We all use different equipment. We all use a, a, a different type of workflow, a different approach. To me, it doesn't matter as long as you get the job done. Um, I'm not going to call names. Or well, you don't have to. I'm, I guess I'm, I, I don't want you to do that. Don't no, get no, me but wrong. I, 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 I have hated them. But, but I'm, I guess I'm just talking about more work ethic. Right, well, right. It, this one going to get Yeah, because equipment and software, obviously, we all use different things, and nothing is universal. Maybe, streamer, maybe Twitch is. There, there is a streamer who I would not name on the stream, uh, pretty prolific streamer, um, who still gets work. Uh, that person, <laughs> listen, that person, I feel personally, would rather put their fandom of the community first than being the professional. And there's a lot of streamers like this. There's a streamer that I know like that in the Smash community who are more interested in being a fan of the game than coming in and being professional and doing work. And it shows. It shows so much in the way they don't even realize it. And yes, we're all fans. You know, I'm a fan of fighting games. Steve's a fan of fighting games. Uh, Lou and DZ who help support our stream. They, they have their own fan. We, we are all fans. That's why we're here. Yes. But we know when it's time to work, all of that goes to the side. We have to make sure that we have a, a stream because we're, we're always looking to do bigger and better things and get more opportunities. So we don't want our stream to lack, you know. Uh, again, well, said, said person, I, I've worked with this person, you know, in the same event many times. This person usually comes late 
when this person does arrive, this person wants to play games. <laughs> you you know you know what you know what the problem is, man. I've talked to Mike about this. I believe I talked to you guys as well. It's just some people, you know, they, they look at it as a passion. Mm-hmm. I love fighting games. You know, eventually I'll become a competitor. Hey, maybe I want to become a streamer as well. Yeah. I could go to GameStop if those still exist, and um, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe I want to stream something. But it's just, it's a weird mentality. And it's just not gamers. There's a lot of people where it's like, I want to see, I'm making some money off of my hobby, but for whatever reason, they don't want to be professionals about it. Right. Where it's, it's like, you know, you got to have a different mentality. Right. And right. that, that's what seems, that's what you're basically saying. It's lacking from whoever this individual is. Because it's it like, shows. It, come it, here to work. You're getting paid to work, uh-huh. which is why I've always wondered, and you guys would know this better than me. I mean, are there contracts being signed where... I'm paying you for X amount of hours to do this. Why are you going around fucking around? I'm going to be honest and say that I have uh, working relationships with certain certain entities where I don't work on a contract. It's basically a handshake. I've worked with you for this long. I feel like I can trust you. That's mutual respect. Right. That with a few people, new clients and new events that we work with, contract always. Because people will screw you, and uh, we've definitely been screwed this year or uh, this past year by any who who decided they didn't want to pay us, uh, basically because they just didn't want to. It wasn't well. We, we didn't do a bad job. We had witness accounts that we did a, a wonderful job, uh, considering the mess of the event, and yet and still they decided that us and some a lot of other individuals, including players, did not get paid because of this organization but we have a contract uh it's been in legal situations right now and it's halfway resolved it's just that this situation of you know coronavirus is slowing all is that a big problem in the community what is oh yeah yes that's a huge problem i'm not in the you know i i guess i come from i'm talking to people who may not know what goes on behind the scenes Mm because a lot of people love talking and they pretend as if they know what's going on but is that a big problem? Where it's, it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem, not just in the FGC. It's a huge problem in all of esports, because what it is, you got these entities and you got these people that have a little money in their pocket, and they go, you know what? I want to run an event because because they think this event is going to make them money, right? As someone who's done event broadcasting and been in, in the trenches with TOs and event organizers. If you ever see a penny in profit, it's not going to be on your first time. You have to establish yourself as a credible event, as a credible tournament organizer where people respect you. And then once you start getting the outside uh, sponsorships and investors to come and actually help run your event with money, then you may start to see, may start to see a profit. But no one makes a profit on their first run. Well, that's just small business in general. That's that's, that's business one-on-one. You know, you, you know, you, you can't build a business. And in your first year, expect to make all the money back that you that you put into it, right? So th- that was these people. These these people, um, they saw our work at another event, and they tapped us. They said, you know what, well, we really liked your work. We want you to do this. We want you to be an event. Um, for months, we laid out the blueprint, the work. Uh, I I explained to them in detail the things that we need. I explained to them in detail the things that we were able to do and provide. Had that written up in a contract given to them, 
saw it, oversee it, agreed to it, signed the payment contract, um, come to the event, the in the investor, which I would uh, liken to Ooh, gaming investors. Yes, I like this. Yes, the, this this particular investor, I would like, I would compare him to a, an, an immature rich playboy, right? <laughs> Who spent money on everything around the event, but the event itself, right? Uh, now, when I say that, we were in Atlantic City. I mean that's right. That's most most so likely one of the casinos. Though. Yeah, yeah. So we we actually had the showboat, which doesn't have casino, which doesn't have uh, machines anymore. They're they're just a hotel because they got their casino floor got wiped out by Sandy. Well, I mean Atlantic City in general yeah, yeah. has been on a dive for right. X so so of they years. haven't used that floor, the casino floor for casinos anymore. Well, I I take it also that they took it in because I mean the unemployment rate down there is so huge and there's a I, I was watching a documentary on it on one of those PBS channels and. Mm -hmm. The amount of unemployment and you know casino workers, right. I mean, th they'll take anything down there as long as they get some. Right, yeah, it, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad on there, but they're trying to recover. Uh, they may get back to their feet in another decade. Um, in another decade. Yeah, it, it's slow. It's slow, yeah. and then they have to worry about it happening again. The hurricanes and stuff. It's a of prime. course, yeah. So it it, it it took a big hit, but they're but they're still around. It's just gonna take them some time. Now the showboat is just a hotel. They don't have any attractions there. They serve, I guess, for other people to go to other places and, you know, do whatever they want to do with other hotels. It's, it's a big holiday inn. Yeah, it's, it's a cheaper alternative to the other hotels, right? So, being that he's in Vegas, he's in AC, he might actually, this is not including the idea that he may have actually left to spend money at other casinos. Because this is something he made. This is the investor. Right, this is the investor. The investor, so the investor. Well, he's got all the money in the world, so just go do whatever you want. Uh, there was two I events. Maybe investing this event, but I don't give a fuck. There was actually two events going on in the same building. There was there was uh, some local MMA fight. Um, and then there was uh, a recording. There, I mean, they were shooting a film for Netflix that had, like, Batista... And some other people in it. So Deacon, so, Deacon Batista. Yes, Deacon Batista. Yes, <laughs> you know, with the chain, and, you know, and the, you know, the little priest. Uh, the little what, priest. What yeah. It, so he, it, it was told to me he spent money on the fighters that were fighting at at, at the bars, uh, entertained uh, random women that were that were coming around the casino, entertained the staff. That was shooting the film, right? This guy was spending money to look cool, right? This is the guy that was the guy investing, that was investing into yes. the esports event, right? And yet, and still, after all that's being said, we still today have players that haven't been paid for their winnings. We have broadcasters, including us, that haven't been paid. We have staff that haven't been paid. You know, I'm, I'm talking about staff, talking about a team, a whole team of, of bracket runners and tournament organizers. That didn't get paid. I'm talking about photography people, audio people, people that did their freaking highlight reels and videos and stuff didn't get paid to this day. And they're running and hiding. Yeah. So this is a thing. This is definitely a thing. And I, you know, if not for a contract and it was just a handshake, we'd be fucked. We'd be screwed. You know, we'd be totally screwed. So for us moving forward, you know, I, and I, I'll actually be clear. I, I work with, I'm not going to say names, but I only work with two entities on a handshake. Only two. And one was recent, but because but they've earned our trust. And they've given us tons of work. 
and I think you've been working with them yeah. side by side for years, right. so the trust is already there. The trust there. is there, so they get a handshake. Anyone else? Elaborate contracts that I write up myself. You know, I write up myself. I have it overlooked by someone in a legal capacity to make sure it's, it's good and it's concise. Right. And take it from there because you can't trust people. You can't trust people, and especially I guess this is any business anywhere. Of course, right? But especially it, in in one like this, where again, you guys are more experienced than I was. But even when I was knee deep into it for those years, it's just so much cutthroat and so much yeah, stabbing. Yeah, it still, in the is, back. It still and, is. And people who allows it, and we all allow it. There's there's no. Is it because of the love of fighting games, where it's like we it, want it, to stand together? It's it, part of it. Is that sometimes people have the attitude of I don't care what's happening around me. I just want to press buttons. But that's not the attitude to have. It's not. And we're seeing that even now with all the controversies that's in our community as of late, uh, that people would rather sleep it under the rug. You know, unfortunately, that rug is like this high right now. And if you step on it, you're going to trip and bust your face. So that's why that's why it's coming out now. And um, I talk with my guys all the time. It's rough. It's, it's taking the toll on us mentally and emotionally because we're so invested in the community and we hate to see the community in this position right now where you know and be, for those that we have i know we haven't touched on it but you know a lot of the sexual misconduct that's been really plaguing our community um that's gonna come later yeah i mean we can get back to that but i just, just kind of brought it up but uh it, it's it's definitely taking a toll on us well, before getting into broadcasting, has fighting games always been your passion when it comes to video gaming? Fighting games, has, I've always been a gamer. This, I, I probably, I, um, I, I don't speak about this all the time in public, but uh, I'm, I'm in my early 40s, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there. Um, I'll be 43 in uh, November, so, you know, they call me grandpa, and uh, I've been gaming since I was like probably five years old. That's, that's a lot of time. 38 years I've been <laughs> playing freaking video games. People in this community, I haven't even been alive that long. You know. Well, I remember one time there was going to be an event. And maybe it was Mike that was messing with me. Maybe it was Raph. He's mm -hmm. like, hey, you should have like introductions for Rod, Steve, and Mike. And I'm like, hey, let me think about this one. Let me just find... <laughs> one that is going to make Rod and these guys laugh and possibly troll the community. And I believe for you, I came up. I came up with, here comes Rodimus Prime. <laughs> Every FGC's member, real father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, And I'm like, you, you know, know what? Maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but you know what? What's, what's crazy about this community is that there are people, a lot of people older than me. Of course. In this community that have been around, you know, for a long time. I... As a kid in the 90s, I've heard about Alex Valle, um, Arturo Sanchez, uh, Lucky Ortiz. I heard those three names a lot. Yeah. And I, I heard the, the Duke Dose. Yeah, John Choi. John Choi. I, those names, were all, they were all in the same. The Mike Watsons, you know, they, they were all in that same boat. They were some of the original players that I know specifically Valle and Choi. I don't know about the other guys, but yeah. they were some of the original players that decided to take a trip over to Japan. When They probably were. When, I, you know, it's like, man, we got these great Street Fighter players. And we, we all know how much love there is right. for Street Fighter in well, that country. I always said that California, the reason why California was always a strong community or had been for years is because they were closest to Japan. 
because they were able to actually exchange the ideas of Japanese players. Remember, that's when like uh, Daigo first came over. Yes. He came over to uh, an, an event in, in Cali, you know, to, to face the old school Cali power, which yes. is uh, Alex Valle. And he oh, of course. He wiped the floor with him. Yeah, I remember uh, Alex Valle and his, uh, you know, um, was tank top all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. White tank top. The cholo. I, yes. <laughs> the cholo <laughs> days, you know. OG Cholo. Grandpa um, Valle. Is Grandpa Valle. Well. Um, yeah, but I have respect for Valle as a player. He's been around OG. He still can hang. He still can hang. He's still a threat. I, I remember even watching him at Evo this past, last year. Um, really giving people the business the time I showed off. I think he was in the top 16. Uh, yeah, top 16. He was, he was, reflexes are there, man. He, he's, he's still there, you know. And, and the dude, I know he's older than me. I, I don't know by how much, but. Well, he's, does he still run um, uh, Level Up, I believe his company is and called? Level Up is this broadcast company, yeah. And uh, I believe they still do WNF Monday Night Fight. I think it's all. Yeah, now. they're in charge of uh, North Cal Regional, South Cal Regional. Mm-hmm. Are they not? They probably do work, but South Cal Regional is just it. North Cal is um, Troy, I believe. Yeah, Troy runs. The funniest thing about those guys, and I'm sure it applies to you. Looking back at it now, I did an uh, interview with Shock. Okay. Another guy we love. Another old school guy. And. What a lot of people, even during the height of 2008, 2010, a lot of people don't know about those guys. It's like, Valle just doesn't play Street Fighter. He plays everything. He plays everything. Shock. He, everybody knows him as the Mortal Kombat guy. He and plays I actually, everything. I actually made that mistake. That video is up on YouTube. It says, yeah. long-time UMK3 support, um, supporter. But that's that's when I really started getting, um, you know, just knowing him. Right. But then when he opens up, besides the fact that he's a big wrestling fan, he actually used to wrestle he's himself. He's a wrestler, yeah. mm-hmm. he, he, he plays everything. He I plays played everything. Street Fighter 3 with him. We play everything. We yes. all play. We just, we focus on games. Yeah. We, I have every tournament game a- accessed in my house. That's, that's played in tournaments today and for the last possibly 10 years. With the exception of maybe a handful. I have them ready to play at home. I'm a fan of fighting games. You know, I, I, I focus on a few. Yes, I have favorites, but I'm a fan. I'm a fan of, I've always been a fan of fighting games. I used to own the most obscure fighting games, the most silly fighting games. There was a good game on uh, Xbox and PS2 or PS3 called Battle Fantasia. I've heard of that game. Wacky anime fantasy game. I thought it was cool. You ever played the Rumblefish too? Rumblefish. I remember that game. I, I, I never owned it. I don't think it was on any systems. I could remember. It was, I believe it came out on the PS2. Dreamcast, I think. No, no, that was, uh, your thing. it didn't come out there because I know basically every obscure fighting game on the Dreamcast, but the Rumblefish. Oh, no, I'm, Japanese, it didn't come out American. No, 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 yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. The Rumblefish 2, I believe, only came out for the PS2. But and the only yeah. time I ever played the Rumblefish was well, when Chinatown Fair was, was around. Yeah. And But again, going back to what you were saying, a lot of people have this weird idea. It's like, oh, well, Shock's only a, a MK player. Vi is not. No, no there, the there's a love. passion. What's the passion for that yes. game? But we have a passion for fighting games in general. And my biggest, I'm, my, my favorite game is King of Fighters. But even Which though. Which one? The whole series. But, uh, so I would say from top to bottom. Even 12. Because we needed 12 to exist. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, 12 <laughs> came out basically to show us how not to rush things. That was a rough year. That that, that year was. for me was bad. I didn't need KOF 12 to be so trash. On top the of only that. guy I think I knew who played 12 seriously. Maybe know him. Dark Geese. He's, he's just an SNK head. That guy. He's the More only. More than me. Because <laughs> that game That's was, the whew. only guy I knew who tried playing that game competitively. 
And he's built a good base for himself. He's like the the king of KOF down in Mexico. He, okay. he, he's an American guy, but he he's brought the tournaments you know, down to Mexico. You know, that was always one of my dreams, uh, to be honest, to go down to the Mexican, the Latin American KOF community for like a week or two and just play KOF with them. That's all they do. That uh, That's always been one of my like side FTC dreams to do. And I, I would still want to do it. I still want to visit Mexico. I've never been. The I, funniest thing about Mexico is... As you know, KOF 2K2, that's that, that, that's the game. In, mm-hmm. in those, n- not just Mexico, those countries. And right. Dark Geese, I believe, I, you know, I, I was following him for a while. He was putting exhibitions together between Mexican players and Peruvian players, mm-hmm. Honduras, because a lot of people think, oh, KOF is only all Mexico. All of Latin no, America. That's all they play. But, but do you know why Latin America is big? KOF fans. Do you have any reason? Why, well, it's because, uh, if I remember correctly, the Neo Geo caps, because they could hold four games together, uh, I, I think they always just latched on to that because, I mean, Neo Geo caps were cheap. You know, you could put... Uh, the the cabs were... The cabs were cheap. The games were not. Oh, a copy of... The, the <laughs> copy, a copy of... I remember a copy of, like, say, a random KOF, 98 at the time when it came out was probably like one to two thousand dollars. And this is the same exact cartridge that was two hundred for the home version. There's nothing different. The AES. There was nothing different. It was just that for the dealer, because the dealer was gonna make money. Of course. Well that's the arcade business back right. then. Yeah. They were, so this is like for you it, it cost this much. For us for the, the player who who could afford to buy those games. Cause okay, now the system let's see if you if you look at it now, it's not a lot. The system came out at the home five, system? Yeah, at five and six hundred dollars. For man. for the cost of inflation, yes, it yeah. was too much money. Actually, you remember that man? I, remember. I of course I remember that because I, I was one of the systems I always wanted. Yeah. And so so when you when you have it and you are an arcade operator, yeah, the game for you costs a thousand bucks because you're gonna make that money back. Of course. The game for you, the consumer, two hundred dollars, which is still a lot for one game to buy. I mind you know, your uh, SNES card was sixty. To $50. We're not at that point yet where like we're paying two hundred dollars for a game and DLC. We're getting there. We're getting there because right, two hundred dollars in total or in total, at one time in total in total for a game and its DLC. Because I, mean, I, I I can remember paying when I had to add everything up close to one hundred and sixty dollars for all the iterations of Street Fighter Four. And, now, and upgrades. Now that's and just costume. a fighting game. Now, could you imagine something yeah. like Call of Duty, which I play? It's like the game in total. How much does it cost? Yeah. Um, almost like eight hundred dollars. Yeah, you know, it's ridiculous. So, but with the, the key component as to why SNK games are so popular in Latin America is because one, they had a storyline, right? A lot of these games had an in-depth storyline. Not compared to some cheap ending you got in Street Fighter Two, right? They just did like two mm-hmm. pages on it, five sentences. Right. Or Blanca and his yeah, mom yeah. are hugging. Blanca, Blanca and a dumb story. Blanca, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, lo- I love Street Fighter, but that was a dumb story. You remember but, that? Yeah. <laughs> but you beat the game with But the Blanca. main thing, the main thing was that these arcade boards and these games were programmed in so many different languages. And so you had, you were able to change the cabinet language to Spanish or Portuguese. And so now they get, they, a lot of, a lot of gamers from these areas didn't get the, the, the total experience of like a street fighter because the game was in English or Japanese. They didn't know what was being said. Right. They didn't know the language. They now know all of KOF lore because it's translated in their languages and they get to understand and take it in 
So now that's why they're such big fans. So that's a main reason why, because because when all these other companies are either coming from USA or Japan, and so so the games only came in those languages. You have SNK game in your language. Right, right off the bat. Right off the bat. Yeah, you're you're right because uh the CPS one boards for Street Fighter. You're mm -hmm. right, they didn't have no even up CPS three. It was it was still only made. Oh, it in, came up it, to that. I think maybe Europe then was like maybe the next region that they were making. They probably make France, you know, but they, they wasn't making it in Spanish. Well, you yeah. said you started playing video. Oh, you you've been playing video games since five yeah. years old. When did you decide to to when when was your first experience with anything competitive? I mean, I'm pretty sure it's the same as all of us. We're putting quarters in the machine. We're losing money. By all means, we're there for competition. Well, the first there are there there were competitive fighting games before Street Fighter Two, before Street Fighter One, right? If you go back way back to like Karate Champ, people play each other. Okay. Of course, Anyways, I don't know. You ever, you ever play Karate Champ? Maybe, it's literally maybe once the controls two sticks so two players four sticks and one stick was to move the opponent and one was to do a, 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 an array attacks so it was like if you did forward with the movement stick and forward the attack stick it did like a, a forward reverse punch you know back did like a different type of punch going forward. it was so many combinations of moves and you would get hit with the one move and then the move gives you a point if it's like a knockdown move you get a full point if it's like just a hit is a half point depending on the impact of the move so you had to uh, get two points to win a round so that's what it was like kumite style karate kid you know who gets the first hit so it's just a whole bunch of dodging and well, yeah, yeah flipping over and then you land a hit <laughs> that was a competitive right you get now street fighter right street, street fighter. fighter one street fighter one uh it was ryu just can, yeah. against the world can with the second player yes who you didn't know existed unless you unless somebody played with you right and so, i believe they were just mirrors of each other yeah they're just complete mirrors no 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 different one's right? blonde the other one's not now street fighter 2 is where it start it really starts for me right because i come in and i'm still i'm still a short guy at this point i'm like maybe in the sixth grade going to seventh grade and uh, I'm coming in, and I see just a crowd. I'm at the pizza shop. By the way, folks, he says he's short, but how tall are you? I'm tall, now I'm <laughs> a 6'3", but this is like, I didn't get my growth spurt yet. So I was probably about 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, and I go in, and like, there's just, a, I'm a gamer. So when I see that there's a ton of people around a video game, it, it has to be a new game. You got to see what's going on. I got to see what's going on. I have to. So I go, and I walk in, and the very first match I ever saw in Street Fighter Two was literally the two most obscure characters. It was a Dalsim versus a Blanca. And I said, what the hell is this? You know? And it's like, I'm, I'm watching and I'm trying to peer over because there's so many people watching the game. And the game, I remember the game being so popular and so crowded that I didn't play, I didn't touch Street Fighter 2 for a month because I couldn't get that close to the machine because people quartered. I don't even remember, you know, the quarter thing. Oh, of thing. course, yeah, the quarter Quarters rack. lined up. Okay, to the point where people were fighting over their quarters, or, or quarters being stolen because yes, yes. There's, there's that many quarters. I've always wondered how do people keep track of that. Yeah, and it's like I, you just yeah. I I remember I, <laughs> I I I would just eye my quarter. You're not gonna touch my quarter. Like I know I was there, and we would watch the quarter move up. My quarter's there, and that's it. We just keep track. 
So it, it literally took about a month, almost two months, before I actually got a hold of the physical game to play it. And then, of course, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Now that I'm finally on it. So I'm losing games, you know. And it turned out my, my first main that I settled on was Blanca. That was my first ever Street Fighter main, or fighting game main, Blanca. I don't know why I was a, I was a Blanca. But then, then I learned the whole cast. But Blanca was like the person I first put work in. I first beat the arcade game. You know, that was a big thing, you know. When did I, you realize he was a charge character? It's like, wait, how do you do his moves? Um, it took a while. Um, you didn't read the marquee? On, and they the marquee that we had didn't have the moves. Oh, they didn't? I was talking about that just yesterday about how someone asked me, how did you learn the moves of fighting games? And like, that's how you learn them, right? Yeah. From the marquee. But if you, didn't, if you didn't have those, you had to take the word from somebody else. So I remember people were saying, like, people used to think back in Street Fighter 1 that Hadouken oh, was the whole 360 yes. with the controller. And yeah, you're right. A lot of people did seem to think you that. Know. You're right. And then the same thing for, like, the Dragon Punch. I said, well, how do you pick what you want to do? I guess you just <laughs> mash it. Something's going to come out. And that's what it seemed like. It's especially in Street Fighter 1. You just mash. You either get in a fireball or Dragon Punch out. Computer didn't, computer didn't really do anything to you if you were able to pull, pull them off. But you, you had to know how to do those moves to beat the game. The, you cannot beat that game on normals. You can go. I can go turn on the game right now, Street <laughs> Fighter Five, and beat that game with just pressing normal buttons. I can if I wanted to. If I wanted to handicap myself, right? You can't beat Street Fighter One with just normal buttons. Well, I was talking to James M K, and you know he did some um, some work in the gaming industry. Right. I mean, he, he, sometimes when I tell him that I've actually sat there and beat Maximum Carnage, which anybody who's played that game. Will look at me with buggy eyes the way he did. It's like you actually. Which one? The the, uh, the the SNES. LGN the SNES one. Made one. Oh yes. my god! I actually beat that game on a couple of occasions. Listen, that company was sadistic. Midway. With was it midway? Because because there was Spider Man and the X Men. Yes. That was another very hard game. Arcade's Revenge. I hated that game. <laughs> <laughs> that game was so crazy. Oh my god! I would get a headache thinking about that game right now. But he, but he, I remember him telling me specifically, and you know this. Anybody who's played arcade games know this. Arcade mode was built so you wouldn't beat it. Right. Be- because if you beat it, what's the incentive to keep playing again? Right. They made it, the, the developers of these games made it where, yeah, the game's on very, very hard after you beat the second the second stage. Right. I mean, Mortal Kombat, you could put it on very easy. MK2. Oh, yeah, I when mean, you get to that third, fourth stage, yeah, they, it's they, like, they go ham. Jade, oh, for whatever, you know how it is. You, you th- the moment it feels you're throwing a projectile, Forget it. There's a thing. I, I know someone that's in well versed in Mortal Kombat can explain it better than me. But in MK2, if you're on the first player side, the computer goes ham against a certain group of characters. <laughs> that like they won't let you do anything for some reason. I think it's like the, the ninjas. Uh, I think I think it, the ninjas, Jacks. If you're playing like Raiden or Kung Lao, they're kind of chill. But other than that, the computer would not let you do anything. They were so mad at you, like from the first time you, you, you start the game and you couldn't do nothing. You had to play on the second side to get somewhat of a chance. Yeah. They were, I don't know why. Why? And I'm sure knowing, looking back at it now and, and knowing how Netherrealm was, is they probably did it on purpose. Oh, of course. Because they, they just revealed that if, if they were such, they're from Detroit, right? Like Mark Tamel. Yeah, I believe they are, yes. And he's from, he's from Detroit. He's one of the lead programmers. He was such a Detroit Pistons fan. That if you played the Bulls with the Pistons, or if, if you played the, the Pistons like, uh, with the Bulls against the Pistons, yeah, or anyone that played using the Bulls against the Pistons, 
if the game was tied and you tried to get a last minute shot and the game was programmed for you to miss that shot all the time. You was not gonna miss that shot. He just revealed that like the other day. So he's a, he was a bad boy Pistons I mean, good fan. thing I was a Knicks <laughs> fan, so I'd have to deal with that. You know, I, I played with good old Ewan and Stark. They you know they developed NBA Jam, didn't they? Yeah, so I'm saying so Mark Tamell programmed it that if you were if you if the Bulls played the Pistons and it came down to a last minute shot and the Bulls had the ball, no matter how wide open they mm-hmm. was, no matter who was it that was shooting with what stat, it was not gonna go in. No, sport, they programmed that specifically in the game. You no, know, sports does that, man. Some people are such fanatics. <laughs> that's that's, an, when, when that's heard, an amazing story. When I, yeah, you can look it up. It, 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 he just revealed that like a, a week or two ago. Like, is it, like, I'm like, wow. Jordan Imagine the all the Chicago fans that lost to Detroit Piston players because of that. <laughs> Imagine. Oh. If you didn't beat them outright, you were going to lose. Well, going back to the arcade days, I'm, mm. I'm sure we all miss them. They basically become fun centers now. Oh, my God. Uh, arcades were all over the place in the 90s, mm-hmm. even in the back delis where Listen, you would otherwise never see and one. And this is, this is one part of like why I don't regret being a gamer. There wasn't a place growing up where I couldn't find a game. You know, we had streets, every block that had a bodega, more than like it had a video game in it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was like the pizza shops anywhere. Not that I, I've known this guy. I, I know Philly guys that talk about this, Philly kids. And and the, the arcades that were in their pizza shops in Philly, you know, that in Maryland and D.C., you know, oh, yeah. this was a regular thing. Jersey, you know, th- there wasn't just a New York thing. No, it wasn't. Know? Oh no, you know, anywhere with a densely populated area. Yeah. If you were a deli owner and you did not invest in an arcade machine, whatever it be, you didn't uh, even Neo have to Geo. invest. You didn't have to invest. They had arcade um, coin operators that would come in and bring the machine to you, and just split the profit. That's what they would do. And they would, they would actually give you the majority profit. I actually used to own two arcade machines at the pizza shop I used to go to, and mm-hmm. that was basically our deal. I remember I bought a Neo Geo cab from that guy. Real nice guy, man. I mean, Giovanni's Pizzeria, that's where I spent the majority of my childhood playing um, Marvel, mm-hmm. Neo Geo. I bought that machine, and, you know, it came with the lamest games, you know. All those, like, you know, Metal Slug 1, and I love Metal Slug. Mm-hmm. You know, the the soccer game that you always see. Just the most basic games. Super, like, super sidekicks. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, if I remember, I put KOF 2K2. And where I live, it's the... Uh, you own the machine, dude? Yes, I did. I own two of them. You still own them? No. Oh, my God. I put I uh, Sengoku 3, I believe it was. Yeah. Oh, man. The amount of money that game made for me was utterly amazing. Yeah, man. And it's funny because he thought he knew the gaming industry. He was just a guy who owned a pizzeria and he owned machines. And to him, just because I was putting quarters in, he thought, going back to the whole corporate American, he thought he knew it. He was more of a gambler. He played poker. And I told him, it's like poker and video games are completely different things. You may have a machine in the back that's video poker, but an actual video games like Tekken and stuff like that, they're different business. Definitely. definitely. And that was our uh, business deal. And it's funny because, I mean, I made him so much more money compared to his other machines. He had a Tekken 3 machine in there. Who didn't love Tekken 3, Tekken Tag? Right. But I, I still remember from that. That was actually one of the better investments I made when I was younger. That's awesome. I, I wish I had the foresight to do that because if there's one person that I actually envy in this whole community is uh, Tony Majors. Don't know who that is. He has, like, this assortment of, like, Astro Cab video games. Is he up. the guy who supports he, the Astro yes. Cabs to the mm-hmm. Okay. And, like... Most of the time you see him at events, you see his small lineup. 
He has a huge lineup. Pool. He can literally fill the, the place with with. What games. does he own? Uh, stores where he? Yeah, I guess he has somewhere, but like like, I wish I owned something like that, more than anything, more than like a gaming lounge. I wish I had a whole bunch of like classic fighting games that I can just set up somewhere and people come and play. Well, I've. You know? My dream is, and I would love to own some arcade machines again. Specifically, I mean, Marvel 2, I played the heck out of that game. I never, Marvel 2, I never really played competitively. I just never liked the way, I mean, I could, I could hang, I play Team Scrub, but I, that game competitively, no, I just never clicked with me. I, I, I never had the reactions for Marvel games, so that's why I never took them seriously. Like, it, it, I, and there's a lot going on in, like, these Marvel games. A lot. On screen, thinking, there's a lot that goes on. I, I just never had the reaction for it. I do appreciate the game. Yeah. Especially 3. I, I wasn't, I didn't play 3. Like, I didn't try to play the Pete Gallagher, but I low-key love to watch it. I love to watch it, and I understood during, by the game's, you know, tournament end, so to speak, I learned a lot about the game and, like, what can be done, setups, and characters and stuff I, I i really did admire the game the but one the one game i could the, the only two games i've ever taken seriously from a competitive standpoint was mk2 you know i don't have the reflexes that some of these guys have anymore because if you stop playing that game i mean unless you're playing a non-stop you, you know you kind of lose some reflex. but i always loved that game right. uh, mk2 but the only other game i took more seriously than that was mark of the wolves for whatever reason i actually at the beginning of when I started going to the FGC, I literally started going to Philly just to play that game. Mm -hmm. The guy, I believe his name was Joe. He was organizing it. We used to get like 26 players. I believe John, Jonathan Jack was one of the players I played there the first time. That's how I met him. Mm -hmm. But those were, and I love fighting games, but those are literally the only two games I ever took seriously. Only reason why I didn't take Garo seriously was because during that time, it wasn't accessible to me. It wasn't accessible to me um, Mainly because um, I used to work in Neocrash, right? Oh, I love Neocrash, and, man. Um, That's one of the best original spots in New York. I actually had a falling out with the guy that I work with. I remember him, too. He could uh, be a doucher, but... He, he was a douche. He was a douche to a lot of people. He was a nice guy, too, but he, he, could, he could be a douche. He was one of the original people that I know of, especially if you loved anime, where he had everything. Everything out there, but he also... We also knew that Chinatown sold it for much cheaper. Yes. And if you were willing to travel, you would go to Chinatown. You know what the funniest thing is? That's that was always it. I went to Neo Crash because it was closer to me than yeah. Chinatown. Yeah. I understood that there was more competition at Chinatown, but the competition at Neo Crash was basically what the you know, some of the best players the Bronx had. Listen. And so and as you know, some of the old school Bronx players, especially that area, that's Tekken country. That's right Tekken there. country, that's EMP country. Yes. A lot of EMP was literally formed in Neo Crash. Um, so uh, I don't, I don't want to get into too much time into that character, but uh, uh, Triforce used to come to that arcade and like scout players uh, for uh, to come back to his place and own their skills. So uh, own their skills, Stardom Empire, if you want to call Empire, it that. Yeah. Um, I met Triforce once face to face. It was down at VSM. They, he just came by. Real nice guy to me. Like his business practices, what I know of them is okay, cool. But we mainly talked about 
because a lot of people don't know this about him, but he plays like you know old old vintage coin ops. He's very much. Oh into no, he's that a game. gamer. He, yeah, he, he, oh, he's he, very much a gamer. He, he's a he's uh he holds the record. Which record does he hold? On Tekken. Oh, excuse me, not Tekken. Uh, Tetris. Is he part of the uh, video game Hall of Fame? Cause yes, I, he, he's he's he, he's very familiar with them. He has his own records there in a few games. He he's he's a quintessential gamer, and I'll give him that respect always. Uh he he probably has had the same upbringing that I had in terms of gaming. He just took it to another level. Yeah. Uh, Smooth talk. He he's literally the game master. You know, he 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 earned the right to walk on with a power glove for <laughs> for a better part of a decade for a reason. You know. My, he, he he definitely he definitely earned that. He, it's not it's not him being quirky or dorky. No, he he, he's he actually, owns it. Yeah, he, he owns it. He he there's no one that could beat him in Tekken. I'm I keep saying Tekken. Mm. Tetris. Yes. Right? And for for a minute he managed a very powerful team of yep. gamers, not just fighting gamers. He had remember, his team spanned a bunch of different games. It yes, wasn't just did. fighting games. I don't know if you remember this and it was covered by M T V. Uh, he actually took it was Team Empire Acadia versus Team Canada. No, I don't think I remember yeah, that. They went to this event. It was like they competed in fifty games. And it was like Team Empire had a representative in all those games. So it was some ridiculous number, like not maybe not fifty, maybe more like twenty, thirty different games. Versus like Canada, whoever was they could find in Canada at the time. Not just Freaking Ontario or wherever it is they went, but all of Canada yeah. to compete. And I think the score, they only lost in three games. <laughs> that was the only three games they lost. They beat them in every fighting game, I believe. Um, every type of puzzle game, like Puzzle I mean, Bobble, so he had, he had Smash. Um, all genres. Yeah. Did they uh, play any first-person yeah, shooters? Like like, I don't know. I don't know. I have to go back and look at it. But this is like in the mid-2000s. Did he ever take uh, Team EMP fighting games to uh, the old Japanese SBO events? I Super Battle Opera, I believe that's what it's called. Yeah, I, I don't know if EMP went. I want to assume that he had to at some point, although I could be wrong. I know Justin Wong one year attended, but I think when he attended, he wasn't EMP anymore. That's, I, I, I don't have that information. They're probably, they're, Team EMP is the most well-known for for better or bad, however you want to look at them. They're the most well-known team ever in the FGC, isn't it? At the time. I wouldn't say today. Today, they're more of a thing of the, you know. They're his, the most talked about. They are the most. They were the most infamous, yes. Infamy is the word you want to use. Uh, because, because their bad came along with their good. And there are people today that still uphold the EMP name. And I don't, I don't blame them. That's what they want to do. That's what they want to do. Of course. You know? Um, they still uphold the name and, you know, really the no, no animosity in that, who, who, you know, I, I know people, some of those members that still do that. No problem with them. They're great, great bunch of guys, you know, great bunch of people. That's their prerogative, you know. When did you go from, when was your first experience from getting out of an arcade to actually going to an event at a hall, at a hotel? When, when, do you remember your first so, ever... So this is the thing. experience with that? Th this is the thing. Um, and that kind of correlates with uh, in me falling out with uh, Neo Crash, right? Like, I just had enough of the fighting game community. Um, between my falling out with them, uh, I, I tried to patronize 
Chinatown Fair a couple of times. I didn't have a great experience at Chinatown over the years. Uh, I felt because I was an outsider occasionally showing up there to have some, some matches. Oh, it was very clickish. Very clickish. Very extremely clickish. And it's just like I felt like it, it didn't feel welcome. You know, you can go to a, you can go to an event today and play a fighting game and you can make a friend. And you can if not if you don't make a friend, you have someone that can discuss with you about the game. Why'd you lose? Why'd you win? Oh, you, oh, vice versa. Why you, you should do this? Enough. You should do that. Was there any of that in the arcade? Personally, if you ask me, and I've been to Chinatown for quite a couple of times, I'm sure nobody's gonna remember me because I didn't frequent it as much as some people did. But that, if you ask again, if you ask me, it's just my opinion. That was actually one of the downfalls for that because it was too clickish. You know, the same people were just in there. I mean, they were feeding the machines, but at the same time, that clickish feeling turned turned off a lot of people right and you could also say because systems caught up with arcade machines more people are playing at home mm-hmm. than they go or go out but that's just always been my feeling towards that. i mean i was there the last night chinatown fair closed closed down and i mean i i used to go there occasionally but i, I just felt like i had to go there i went there with mike and it was just still the same thing same clickish feeling and I, like, I went to I, I went the last sunday it was open i went in the afternoon we just actually because. went the previous Saturday. We went there Saturday night. Yeah, I, 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 I just because I, I still respected the competition in Chinatown. Competition was fierce in Chinatown. It was the, obviously the best in the city. By of course, far. yes. And realizing later, probably the, one of the best in the country. You know, and I, I remember holding my own in certain games. I, I was, I was in the middle of the pack in a third strike. I, it was hard for me to, to play defensively in that game like the like expert level parrying was which game was this uh third strike she, okay she, she fired first um and that was hard for me to be really stand out so but i still like to play it and you know and occasionally i'll get a win or two you know but it, it was very very strong players on me king of fighters was more my speed I was able to hold my own um one of my longest arcade streaks in any game ever was in the Chinatown Fair. Uh, King of Fighters 98 had just came out, and I ran a 30-plus win streak uh, in 98. Um, if anyone, if you ever been a fighting game player who's been in that situation in arcade running some sort of a streak, you know it gets tiring. Um when you have 30 wins in KOF, it's like 70 wins in any other game because you're, it's, it's three out of five matches, you know, and stuff. And it, it's, it gets tiring. I, I, I pretty much lost. The reason why I lost that day was fatigue. I was just tired. Yeah, a lot of people don't look at it, but when you're standing up, you yeah, know, stand, straight, I'm talking I, about this is three hours with your neck cranked. Well, I'm tall. With your neck cranked down a certain way and you're, you're playing. And I had this weird persona around strangers and in, in, in fighting games. If I didn't know you, right, it's almost as if I didn't acknowledge that you were playing next to me. Fuck off. I, w- I wouldn't acknowledge you. I wouldn't look at you. <laughs> I, w- I would just be stone cold, stone cold. And I said people people would, would lose and look at me, and I could feel them looking at me, and I would never take my eye off the screen. I would just sit there and wait for the next person to come play. Is that the way, is that why you treated me that, like that, that first night we met? I mean, what? we're driving down uh, VSM. He's just staring forward. Just drive. <laughs> no, because it's just like, what, you want me to stare at you while you're driving? Wouldn't that be awkward? 
That would be no, so but awkward. we did not have conversation. I know. I think we converse. I'm not a. No, you just, you just, you just stare forward. I'm not like that. No. I'm a, if if I, I did I that, there must have been something on my mind. I'm fucking with you. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it that was that was like one of my more crowning achievements in fighting games was to have that streak, and that that wasn't even like something I had planned to come and do. Um, I um. I was playing uh, the new face team, which is Shirmi, Chris, Yashiro. Yes. And I, when 97 came out, I complained about how bad Chris was. Chris was. And then I seen in 98 that gave him a whole bunch of new moves and fixed the moves that were wrong. Thank you. You know? <laughs> Yo, like 97, Chris, I don't know why he's in the game. He's the most horrible g- character in the game by far. Is he worse than Sean in Street Fighter 3 yes. Third Impact? He's, he's just trash. It's like, why? I used to play why, Sean. Why are you made this way? That's what I was my thing. I play Sean in uh, Second Impact. And he then became, Third Strike came out, and I'm like, what the fuck? He became this mix-up heavy character in 98. And um, I'm not... I don't play with characters that are usually aggressive offensively. Um, I, I'm more of a neutral guy. Is that your play style? I feel Is like that I your am. play style across all games? Or just no, it, it changes. It changes. It does change. Um, because, I, you know, it depends. Like, if I'm playing, like... Alex and Street Fighter 3 are very aggressive and like in your face, you know. Um, you, you remember that. I think you remember that very, very well. Do, were, were you going to touch on that? I guess you, you, you don't want to touch on that. We, uh, we simple, don't... you can't escape. I'm like, yeah, fuck this, I can't. I just put down the control. I'm like, goodbye. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it. If, if, well, I played that. Sean, you know. <laughs> he sucked in the game. Yeah, you know. But, um, yeah, depending on the character, depending on what the character requires, you know. Which is not the case because, like, I actually just played Dawson last night in five, which is Ralph. I played him, and he was very aggressive in my face, and it was annoying. And I'm like, I, I had a hard time because I'm I'm just learning Street Fighter Five now. I'm actually taking the time to learn the game and start to play it. So, right. Uh, I, I had me a rough time, but I, I learned a lot and I have fun. You know, hey, l- learning is always the fun part. Right. So you go to arcade, you go to Chinatown Fair, and a- again, do you remember your first? I get competitive. Well, well, arcades are offline events if you want to yeah. look at it that okay, way. Okay, so first, well, I'm like, talking about first event, yeah, not an arcade, it, yeah, where it's actually something organized by somebody, uh, where it's like, hey guys, listen, we have maybe a hundred dollar, you know, up, up for grabs. Believe it or not, play. the first what that I played in or attended, uh, I will attended, attended, Steve, Steve, did an event for uh, Tekken. The event for Tekken at um eight 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 bit ga- um the gaming store that that was that the one city. in the Bronx? No, it was, it was in it was in uh, East Village. Eight bit. I don't yeah. think uh, I don't think I eight bit enough gaming. We used to hang out there when we first started KPV. Um, I think they moved down to like West Fourth or something like that. Um, but they were in the East Village on 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 what is that called Aster for yes. for a while now, for for many years before they moved. That was the first offline event. I visited. Steve ran it. He he TO'd it. It was for Tekken. Which uh, Tekken? Tekken six. Tekken six. Yeah. Tekken six. And um that's when, that's when I was just like, Okay, this is cool. And, and I I've known Steve for years at at this point, you know. Um this had to been like this is actually a bit before KPV. This is probably like two thousand nine, maybe maybe eight, I wanna say. How did you and Steve meet? Well, I've known Steve from Neo Crash days. Okay. Neo Crash days from the 90s. So I've known Steve 
see what this little kid and uh I knew his family that me me and his sister are very close too and that's how I, that's how I knew Steve um so that's how we had the age difference because I was actually I met him through his sister his sister's close in age to me and um her, his sister's also a gamer uh one of the first uh What's female gamer tag I don't know what gamer tag it's probably something with cherries or something but uh that, that's their thing now but um she she used to actually kick butt in some X Men Street Fighter. I used, I used to watch her kick butt. She she, she couldn't be me, but you know I used to watch her kick butt. You know, and you know how they say for a girl, you know. Yeah. She I would just say she I'm not gonna say she's very good for a girl. She's very good because she beat a lot of people. You know, and then, then whoever she didn't beat, I would jump in. <laughs> you know. Um, to intimidate them. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, nah, it, it was just the thing to do. That's what, that's what we did. We had each other we had each other's backs in in, in the arcade. You know, someone beat us. We, we avenge them, you know. So, how many players? Small event. Uh, it was quite a few players. I would say it was at least twenty something players. You know, I've interviewed a few people before back in my VSM days, and you know, you could clearly you you could clearly see which players were in it for the long haul and which weren't. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed these two guys. I, I forget their names. They, they were probably in the MK9 community for maybe two months, and they realized it just wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. When you first attended an event, because I asked them, I actually do remember this, and, you know, they saw the environment. And I remember their reaction was, it's like, man, you could clearly tell there are oh, a lot of awkward people here. You know, some of these people, maybe they got something wrong with them, or maybe you know there's just something going on here yeah. maybe it's the funk i have no idea how did you feel around the people when you first met them like or or do do some players look at it as like hey you know what i'm among my own as in gamers you know do i have to look down on people just because they may be socially awkward because we know the gaming community has a ton of socially awkward people it's it's a mix it's a mix it's not a whole everyone there is not socially awkward you know, it's a mix. People that play fighting games come from all walks of life and all types of personalities. So yeah, you got the the introverts and the socially awkward people that do attend events, uh, where the game itself is really their only form of communication is how they communicate, how they, how they express themselves. You know, but they don't know how to do it in a social setting. But they're willing to withstand the anxiety of being in that setting just to play their game. You know, and then you got people. You know, I, I thought I was, for lack of words, I guess a cool person, you know. Uh, I didn't feel any way about it. I didn't feel like I was out of place. I didn't feel like, oh, this is too nerdy or geeky for me. Even though I could see someone feeling that way about it, I didn't. I This was my life long before I started, you know, becoming really involved since the 90s. It was the same setup. You go to arcade, you got some, some dude, you got you got the hood kids, right? The oh, of course. Yes. From the hood. <laughs> You know, you ever you ever beat a hood kid in a fighting game? That's yes. real beef. Yes. Okay. I I, I had I had a guy wanting to beat me up because I I scrubbed the floor with him in Tekken two, a grown ass man. You what? know, and, and and I actually got out of it somehow, and I actually ended up teaching him some stuff, and he me and him became really cool, cool people. The best thing that ever happened to me, where I used to play again, little there was a little we like to call it little Mexico around there. Mm-hmm. And I used to play Marvel 2 with a lot of Mexican gangbangers around that area. Mm. And the best thing that possibly happened to me is I spoke Spanish and, you know, I was cool with them. Yeah. But I knew when to back off because I used to beat their asses all the time. Oh, we, I had that problem. I, I used to go to... 
I think they respected me enough to the point where it's like, you know what? It's it's just a video game. Let's just calm down. But I but I have come close to getting my face flashed by some of those guys, Listen. and it's just like, hey, let me just back off. I don't, you know. I, I, I used to go to Flushing, okay, to play dudes in KOF 99. Yes. Right? In Flushing. I had to deal with Latin American dudes, and then I had to deal with Korean dudes. So it was two crews that already had beef with each other playing these games. And, and here in the middle. Yeah, here my black ass comes into the arcade. Flushing used to have a really cool arcade. I wish people, I wish, for some reason, I wish it was still around. Like, that's one of the first places I played uh, Virtual On. You remember that game? Oh, of course. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know how to play for shit, but I, I loved that game. That game was so cool. By the way, if anybody's hearing some clanking right now, forgive us. That's rain, but nothing we could do. <laughs> it is a rain. Um, <laughs> but, rain. um, yeah, like, you know, it, it it was real. It was survival. Like, I definitely seen kids get beat up for being too good. Like, I remember Daigo came out with a story about that or, or, or like, some revelation about that, uh, I think, a, a little under a year ago. And he said that when he was younger in arcades, he used to get bullied and beaten up because he would beat people. Yeah. I understand that fully because I used to have that talent of beating most people in my arcade to the point where they wanted to fight me, you know. And I may have gotten to one actual physical fight. That I was able to take care of myself, but then again, I had the benefit of always being a bigger kid, so I didn't get into many fights. Right, nobody. But I definitely anything. had the animosity. People were oh, very mad. At me, you know, I remember playing Tekken two, and there used to be this local guy who worked at, as a butcher, so he'd always come after work with his meat, his, his bloody meat jacket, and he smelled like meat blood, and um. <laughs> oh, he's already here for war. Yeah, he 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 was a June player. And he thought he was nice, and I, I, we used to scrape him. And he, he used to be so upset. So he was to the point where it, it, I, I would see him playing when he was. I'm like, yes, I'm gonna beat this guy today, and he would get so upset, and then we would beat him, and he would just walk off. Just uh, I remember in Giovanni's there was this one guy. I mean, he, <laughs> I never took pleasure in doing it, but I know some of the others did. He clearly had, you know, he clearly had mental problems. <laughs> he just loved playing fighting games. You know, he would he would actually reenact everything on the screen. And some people just loved, you know, beating him and laughing at him because let's be honest, the majority of us are assholes. Listen, but, there, there was this guy, I have to say this, there was this guy in Neocraft. His name was Lenny. I remember him. I think I remember Lenny him. was like this we we used to call him asexual because we, we he just seemed like he was not interested. We, we had, like, hentai, you know, because it was a cousin. Yeah, yeah. Porn. And they would tease him and, like, show him hentai. Like, oh, you know. He, so he just seemed like he was totally non into sex or anything. So we just called him. He, they called him asexual or whatever, right? He used to, he would play. He he was a pretty good player, but he just hated playing people. He didn't like to play people. He would just like to play the CPU. So it was like he would be visibly upset if he's playing the CPU and someone came and joined in. I would never play him because I liked him and then I could beat him. So I didn't. But he was pretty good in his own right. But when he did play people and he won, it was he was so animated. And he would like sit there and like, execute the move. And when the move landed, like you know, like, like one of the Rambo's of the audience fighting guys, he would right. sit there and go, <laughs> you know, and it was just like, it, he, he enjoyed it so much. I, I used to root for him. You know, it, it was funny. So yeah, I, I remember people like that that would just act out the move as they're playing the game, you know. Like going back uh, a few topics to working behind the scenes, we already well uh, the event in Atlantic City. Mm -hmm. I mean, you said it was just a nightmare mm -hmm. with everything that was going on. 
You know, another event that was a nightmare last year, maybe it was a year, you know, maybe 2018, I think it was 2019. What went wrong with Defender North? Oh, man. Or is that too much of a story? Are we, we going to be here 3,000 hours talking about I, It's this? not so much that. I just, you know, despite everything that has happened, uh, I do have a level of respect for Andy. Um, he's not he's not the worst T.O. that people try to paint this picture of when it comes to him. Um, he, he just he gets a lot of bad break. Um, the Defender North, with Defender North, I, I, was, I was ready for a lot of the bad to happen because as there was just kind of the nature of not only his event, but more like something that could happen at any event. It could happen at Big E event. It could happen at ECT. It could happen anywhere. So, well, that during that weekend was the big heat wave, so right. that didn't help. So, and again, you know, people say a lot of stuff when they're not there, when they're not a part. That's, that's another thing about the community. You, 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 you hear something, and people have a lot to say, and they run their mouth. But these are people that don't, one, probably don't ever attend events. Maybe because they're fucking awkward, and they don't want to be seen. Well, it's a right? full-time job to be a shit talker on Twitch. Mm -hmm. But I, I look at people like that, that you got something to hide when you have a lot to say at home and don't come out and see what. See, it's not easy to run these events. I, I, a part of me still would like to host my own major one day. If it's feasible and it makes sense, but it's a it's an undertaking. It, it it's a lot. Or it could be a logistics nightmare. It's a, definitely always a logistics nightmare. You can't perceive to think of the thing that that could happen, right? And this was the case with this particular defender north. Uh, I know they had their documents and plans in order, whatever. I guess what they didn't realize as an organization was that the building was gonna limit the amount of outside food and beverage being brought into the, the venue. Well, what, uh, what was the venue? Uh, the New Yorker Hotel. I mean, that's an old hotel, though, yeah, as well. I mean, they're not, they're not, I, I mean, unless he got a great discount on it, you're not going to find much. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not privy to that information. I just know that he was able to do it there. Well, I'm just speculating yeah. here. Um, they didn't do right by the tournament. The, the, you can't control things like it being a heat wave that weekend. You of can't foresee that. There's nothing you can do about that, right? It was, it was a heat wave that particular weekend. Um, the building itself was regulating the internal AC, the, the central AC. They didn't always have it on for whatever reason. I don't know if it was they were. I, I, I from the standpoint, I feel that they were being cheap. They didn't want it on. Um, some may say that they were probably worried about how much it was draining power during the heat wave. For whatever reason, it wasn't on the way it should have been the entire time. Right? Because of that, it was an environment where it was very humid, very hot. I would definitely say as someone that was there that if you had serious health conditions, you shouldn't be there. So the person in particular that passed away, to my understanding, they didn't die from heat exhaustion. Didn't die from anything, any element that was provided by the event. It just helped his underlying condition, you know, become an issue. Well, well I've heard he fell and hit his head. Yeah, because he passed out. You know, he he had a seizure, and it, it was. Now, it, with all the all the bad news coming out of that event, mm -hmm. 
why didn't Andy, the guy who put this together for some goodwill, why didn't he have a ten bell salute or anything? Well, I mean, he he made an acknowledgement. I mean, it's just. But I think it became too late. <sighs> that's that's up for debate. Um, again, I'm not gonna hang the guy for it. No, I'm not either. I, he he's he's. I know where his head is coming from. I know where his heart's coming from. He wants to. He always. He his whole purpose of DTM was always just to put New York on a pedestal in terms of the fighting community. New York, and I've said this many times, New York has had some of the best talent in fighting games ever in the history of competitive fighting. It, even when when you remove EMP from that, you still have a lot of players from New York that were threats. And continue to be threats too. You know, New York has bred killers in terms of the fighting community. And I, I agree with him in a sense that because of that, we don't get the shine we're supposed to. We don't get the acknowledgement we're supposed to. All right. From we, who? From the community, from the people that work in the community. Um, the FGC or the gaming community in general? Both. Um, we have, we're, not, we're now in the, in the stage of Pro Tours. When you say you don't get the uh, recognition, is it based off the fact that everybody has this idea that New York is next level only and then there's everybody else? No. It's the idea that we have these pro tours I was about to get into. The pro tours don't stop in this region. They used to. They don't. They never have. They never stopped at the Barclays Center? No. they're not. That's Those one-off terms are different. I'm talking about when Capcom decided. Oh, the Capcom. They want to have a pro tour. When, the MK tour. When, when MK. Tour, yeah. You know, Namco, Tekken, they don't, they don't make it easy for New York players to come and play, because there's not events here. The closest events, the closest events we get, we get, we get the the second, third level events, if that. We get, we get the what's called the ranking events. Yeah. You get some points. Doesn't mean you're gonna get on the board. Doesn't mean you're gonna get into the finals, right? You get to go to a premier event and you win that event, you're guaranteed a spot, basically. We don't get those opportunities unless we fly out somewhere and spend X, X amount of money. But that's competition in general. Right. You want to go where the best but competition is where you may make the most I'm money. I'm sorry. And, and, and I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of New York because I'm from New York and from this region. We're a better region than Atlanta <laughs> than in Georgia. Yeah. Maybe not in Tekken. Tekken, they run Tekken. They run, they run Tekken. I, I think mm -hmm. overall, we, we, we run shop over that. Over that, we're, we're only second, if we're second at all, to California and the West Coast. Still, nothing's changed much. Yeah, those those regions have gotten better, and we've gotten great players out of the region, out of the South, out of the Midwest. We've gotten great players from them that have, that have won big big events. We're still, as a region, better than most of these regions. But whose fault is it that we are not getting recognized? We're it, it, it's it's a decision of these game companies to decide where and where to have it, but. But what's running them off? What's scaring them? It's, it's a number of things. It's, it's, from what I understand, it's one, the people that are making the decisions. They're biased. There's a lot of um, nepotism in those decisions. Uh, and another aspect of it is I don't think the regional TOs here do the best job they can do. We're talking about Biggie. We're talking about everyone that falls in here. Uh, uh, you know, Biggie. The Northeast. Huh? Not just the northeast, just just not the northeast. I'm talking about you know, and and I work with all the people, so I'm I'm not saying anything that they don't know that we, they don't know how I feel about. I just think we should do more. 
and be better. Does the Northeast section of Canada deal with the same problems that we do when it comes to that? And, uh, from, I, from what I hear, Canada's a mess. That's what I hear. I don't go there. I know a few people from the scene. Not enough to talk to on a regular basis to get a real steady input. But from what I hear, it's a little bit messy. That's what I hear. I don't take that as fact or anything. Um, but that's my opinion. I, I, but even when we try hard, I think that we have to still deal with outside elements as to why this region doesn't get the shine that it's been. And, and this is the perfect example was they did a Soul Calibur Pro Tour. I think it was the first time they did Soul Calibur ever. Soul Calibur Six. Right. Yes. It's pretty safe to assume that in the United States, the Northeast community is the best region in Soul Calibur. Yes. Biggie Gaming has been one of the most prominent tournaments to feature regularly throughout the years going as far as Soul Calibur 2 featured Soul Calibur at their events. Right? The communities that are in the Northeast, especially the ones out in Jersey, New York, Philly, um, New England, very strong players. Very oh, they strong love Soul Calibur. Love. This region did not get any type of pro tour at all. At all. They, they could have given it to any of the biggie events. They could have given it to ECT. Could have even given it to uh, um, DTN. You know, nothing. Is Canada Cup um, still around? Could we Canada include them Cup, in, that, in, that, in that list? Um, yeah and no. And they, they, All right, so let's disregard them then. So. They used to get premier events but for whatever reason. Or reason I'm not, I well, guess, allowed to speak on. I... I I wouldn't know either, but I'm assuming it's because it's in Canada and they're, you know, hey, right. it's, it's trying to go. We're, we're close enough to Canada that we, go, we can go to every. Yeah, of course. Five hours you drive. Know, if, if we can go to, you know, Atlanta, we can definitely go there. It's, yeah. it's much closer. Um, but, the, but the general consensus is we're not getting the shine. If you want to take an even in-depth look at it, a lot of the events are ran by people of color. I believe, like anything else in this society, there is a level of racism in this community. Uh, it's very silent, it's very under the table, but it's there. Um, and um, I, I hope that can change, and you know, we, we, we get out of that somehow, and that's part of it, and hopefully it'd be better. But I have to say that the players are the ones that are really paying for their suffering. They're the ones that they gotta get. Then they need sponsors. They gotta get flown out to Florida. I get flown out to California. Gotta get flown out to Atlanta. Listen, I don't know how sponsorship in the gaming community works. I know it more from the sporting community. When some of these players get sponsors, do they know? Do they maybe know that they have to change their tune a little bit? You know, you're being sponsored by a company. Well, I can't go on with this crazy stuff. Well, most established sponsors, they um. They have a code of conduct, like anything. Like, you know, if you're a pro, a pro sports athlete and you get an endorsement deal, you you have to maintain what's called a morality uh, 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 morality clause. Morality clause, thank you. You have to carry yourself a certain way in the public eye because you represent a brand. And if, if you decide one day that you want to, you know, be a racist or you want to be a sexist, you're an extension and reflection of the company you're serving. Which makes them look bad. So of course, if you go into those into those situations, you're going to get removed because you violated the, the the clause. There there is a level of that in 
esports is not as strong because I guess it's not as much money involved, but it's there. And you see it all the time because of the allegations this whole past month, a lot of players have been dropped from their spots, you know, because you have to maintain a level of, you know, moral decency. Well, know? that's a topic we're probably going to end up uh, talking with on another episode of this, but how do we fix New York? Who has to take responsibility? Everybody. Everyone that's running events have to take responsibility because... Are people who are more organized, like KPB, should they try to have more presence into things? or who, It, like, it, are, it or, helps. Or is there, a fra- is there a fear? I'm not talking about you guys, but is there a fear? And I believe you mentioned this earlier. Is there a fear that some toes will be stepped on from people that have long been established in this community and especially here in the Northeast Th- where this is a constant thing. This is a constant struggle. There is so much of a power struggle, even on the local level that it's hard. It's very hard. Um, I don't care who sees this and who watches this, but as far as I'm concerned in the local community, one of the few entities I think I respect in the local community is Mash Fest. I, rep- I respect them. I think Maxim is like he gives so much to this community. How long has he been doing He's Mash been Fest? doing this for what? Seven, eight years now? He's been doing it? A little Great after, guy, uh, by the way. A little Great after guy. we started. Yeah, awesome guy. Awesome guy. He doesn't get half the credit. A quarter of the credit that he deserves. This guy calls his equipment. I'm talking about some 20, 30 machines. Me and Raf drove them one time when we did the uh, the marathon over yeah. at Clarkson. We did it. Me and you went to pick them up, I think. Yes. Yeah. Me and Raf. Oh, no, you, them you bought them back. Yeah, yeah me and Raf dropped them off. Yeah, yeah. He, he, Great guy, by the way. Guy. I think they call him Jesus, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he, he does it for the love. He's, he's never been about the money, you know. And yet and still, you got other, other TOs in, in this local New York community. You know, the only other one I'm a personally leave off of this list because he's also cool people. It's Hells, Hells, and the Tekken community. I, I I've met him only a few times, but I, I've heard so many great things about him. I know he's not a habitual toe stepper. Anyone else who runs events that's known this in the local community has definitely stepped on toes, including our toes. Okay, and it's like the same same way with it. We don't do it for the money. Like if five people show up, show up to to an event, we're gonna play with five people. It doesn't hurt our pockets. It doesn't hurt our time. You know, they'll see that we have an event set up. And because they feel that they have their names a little bigger, their followings a little bigger, they can pull the players that are considering to come to our event to their event. And so they'll purposely book on top of us, knowing we've had this proof. This, This is not speculation. We've had someone literally come and tell us, yo, man, we're literally booking on your date on purpose. They don't give a reason why. You know, they just do it. They just do it. I don't need a reason. I, I, I can add a thousand reasons and be right about it. The point is that they're stepping on our toes. And it's not hurting us. It's hurting the community. You're spinning up the community, you know, in, the two, in two different directions. For what? Too because you got to pay rent? Too many Indians, not, not many chiefs? Something like that, you know. It, it's hard. It's hard. It well, doesn't. You've been going at this now for how many years now? 
um, between we we just passed our ninth year, uh, June twenty sixth. So uh, hopefully in our tenth year, I plan to do something really big. I don't know what that is, but hopefully if things become somewhat back to normal by then, I want to do something really huge, really for the community, for us, because we deserve it, you know, and just recognize that we've been around that long, you know. And listen, man, it was fun. We're about to finish this. Yes. I'll definitely have you on again. It was great, my friend. Thank you so much. Beautiful. It was fun. It was fun. It was definitely fun. That's the first episode, guys. Stay tuned for some more. All this right. again, KPB Rodimus Prime, Rodiness as I know him. This is KPB Raphael. We'll see you guys next time. Take care. This has been a KPB MediaWorks production.